hands for the King of Kings. Praise God. We may please be seated. Hallelujah. Well, we are all welcome. Why don't you shake hands with someone sitting close to you? Let them know they are welcome. Let them know they are welcome to this service. Praise God. Hallelujah. And please, I would like us to be reminded as men that we were created for leadership. We were created for responsibility. And God will hold us accountable for everything that we are doing in this life. We were created for leadership. We were created for responsibility. That is why after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden when God came down to ask for accountability he did not talk to the woman he did not talk to Eve he talked to the man he talked to Adam in Genesis chapter 3 you know that verse of scripture and verse number 9 the Bible says, the Lord God called to Adam. He never called to Eve. He called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Where are you? When marriage, family is upside down, God will not be asking the woman in the house, the mother in the house to say, where are you? God will always take the man to task because it is man who was created for responsibility. The woman only came in as an assistant. It is not good for the man to be alone. By that time, God had already given responsibility to man. I'm talking about Genesis chapter 2. And verse number 15, God says, I mean, the Bible says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. By that time, Woman had not yet been formed. There was only man, Adam. God took him and put him in the garden. It doesn't say God took them. No, it is just one person. His name is Adam. And this is male, male. There was no female. There was only male. And God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Now, after some time, then God comes back to make an assessment. Verse number 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man 
should be alone. I will make him a helper suitable or comparable to him. Praise the name of Jesus. So woman was never made for responsibility because that was given to man. Man was made for responsibility. Man was made for leadership. And therefore man is accountable to God for what is happening around him. Now that calls for us to be good people. It must be upon the heart of each one of us to be a good person. A good person. Be a good person as a man, as a leader, as someone created for responsibility. Be a good person. It is never too late to be good. It is never too late to be good. Make up your mind to be a good person. Be a good person. That is God's will for you. That you should be a good person. I don't know about you, but I want to be a good person. I want to be a good pastor. I want to be a good husband to my wife. I want to be a good father to my children. I want to be a good person. In the Bible, we have men that were commended by God himself as being good, as being good. In the parable of talents, for example, in Matthew 25 and verse 21, Matthew 25, verse 21, you see the same thing in verse number 23, the master speaking to his servant. And we are the servants of God. We are the children of God. His Lord said to him, well done, hear this, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. God wants us to be his faithful sons, but also good sons, good sons. Says, well done, good and faithful servant. When God is looking at you, when God is looking at your behavior, your conduct, how you manage your life, your finances, how you handle yourself in your respective careers, in everything that you do, can he really describe you as a good person? Are you a good person? Are you a good person? Now, the writer of the book of Acts, who we know is Dr. Luke, is giving us an account about a man by the name Barnabas. Let's look at this quickly. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 24. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 24. But I'm looking for verse number 24. But let's appreciate the context. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Verse 20. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, 
who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 22. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Now verse 23. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them, meaning the brethren that had believed at Antioch, he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. Now hear this. Verse 24. For he was a good man. This Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. The Bible says that this man, Barnabas, was a good man. He was a good man. I want to be described as a good man. That's my prayer. A good man. A good man. A good man. Those that are around you, can they call you a good man? How about your wife, for those of us that are married? Can your wife call you a good husband? Those of us that are fathers, can your children call you a good father? A good father. Those of us that are employed in various places, can our employers, colleagues, superiors, subordinates call us a good person? Are you a good person? This man, Barnabas, was a good man. Actually, uh, this was not his original name, this man, Barnabas. This name was given to him. They had to change his name. Was given to him by the apostles. There was a need in the church, a critical need. This man sold his property and brought the proceeds to the church. And the apostles, I believe in a meeting, had to make a resolution to say, no, let's change the name of this fellow. He should be called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement or the son of consolation. They said, you are the son of encouragement. You have encouraged the church by your massive contribution towards the needs of the church. Massive contribution. And Dr. Luke says of him in this Acts chapter 11, he says, this man was a good man. A good man. A good man. Do you qualify to be called a good person? Hallelujah. Now, to be a good person is not something you claim. It is something you live out. You show it. You show it by your manner of life. By your marital conduct, your personality, your career conduct. Everything about you should manifest the fact that you are a good person. So, please... We as men should not be the ones creating problems in the nation, creating problems in the home, creating problems in the marketplace. No, no, no. God has entrusted us with leadership and responsibility. 
And therefore, let us be responsibly responsible. Let us be responsibly responsible. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Anyway, that was just a side issue which I believe the Holy Spirit wanted to draw our attention to. Otherwise, um, once again, we are welcome to this meeting. And today, we are discussing work-life balance. Work-life balance. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I know that uh, some of you are retired officers, but this message is still relevant. Praise the Lord. Work-life balance. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Somebody shout, work-life balance. Say it louder, work-life balance. Now, I want to start by reminding us that life is not defined by just one thing. Life is not defined by just one thing. Please take note of that. The meaning is, life has many facets. Life has many departments or components. And we cannot go far in life if we do not give due balanced attention to its various components. I will come again. We can never go far in life if we do not give balanced attention to its many facets, many components. What this also means is that life is not just about work. Life is not just about work. Life is bigger than work. And by work here, I mean what, whatever it is that you do for a living. That's what I'm talking about. It could be self-employment, external employment, but whatever it is that you do to earn a living, that is what I'm calling work. For pastors, uh, work will mean the ministry that you are pursuing to the glory of God. If you are a full-time minister, for example. Whatever preoccupies you mainly as a source of income is what I'm calling work. And so, I want to repeat what I said. I said, life is not just about work. Earning money, going to the office, running around. No, life is bigger than that. Life is more than that. What you do to earn a living is just a small component of what we call life. The meaning is that there must be a proper balance between your work and other aspects of your life. There must be a proper balance between your work and other components or aspects of life. That is, God wants us to live 
a balanced life. Now, there is enough evidence in Scripture, we'll be looking at a whole range of passages that attest to the fact that God wants us to live a balanced life. Enough evidence in the Word of God. For example, in Matthew 23 and verse 23, Matthew 23 and verse number 23, Jesus is rebuking the scribes and the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. And in verse number 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He called them hypocrites, pretenders. Why? He says, For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done, hear that, without leaving the others undone. He's talking about balance. He says, don't just pay tithe. There are also other equally important practices to engage in. You can't prioritize one above the other. They are all equally important. They are all equally important. Now, this gives us an idea as to why life is not working for some people. Life is not working for some people because of what Jesus in this verse of scripture is calling neglect or omission of certain important practices or aspects of life. For example, I mean, in this verse of scripture, he says, if all you do is to just pay tithe and you don't give due attention to equally important practices like justice and mercy and faith, your life will remain messed up. Your life will remain messed up. I mean, there are so many people today that are gurus in the corporate world, but they are perfect failures at home. Perfect failures in as far as marriage is concerned. Perfect failures. There are people today that are succeeding in the marketplace, but they are stagnated in the house of God. They are stagnated. They, they are spiritually stagnated. You find the fellow... He calls himself a Christian. He's a child of God. Yes, he's born again. He's a child of God in the sense that he's born again, but he doesn't know anything from the Bible. Excelling as an accountant, excelling as a lawyer, but stagnated as a Christian. That's not the kind of life that God wants us to live. God wants us to live a balanced life. Somebody shout a balanced life. Say it again, a balanced life. So maybe before we continue, let me draw your attention to what I'm calling the major components of life. What are the major components of life that I believe we must secure balance in? Number one, spiritual component. Spiritual component. Spiritual life. So, 
We can look at your life in terms of spirituality, your spiritual dimension. God wants us to maintain a vibrant relationship with him. So when we talk of your spiritual life, we are talking about your relationship with the Lord, your maker. Your relationship with God. The Bible speaking in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 7. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 7. It says, just as you received Christ the Lord, walk in him. Verse number 7. Rooted and built up in Christ. Established in the faith even as you were taught. Rooted and built up in Christ. And established. Established in the faith. God wants us to maintain a solid relationship with him. I mean, the Bible talks about people like Enoch. Genesis chapter 5, verses 22 to 25. The man Enoch walked with God. The man Enoch walked with God. For 300 years. The man walked with God for 300 years. He lived for 365 years. 300 of them were spent walking with God. He spent the whole of his life walking with God. That is what we are talking about. In all you are getting, make sure that you also get spiritual excellence. Maintain an excellent walk with Jesus. Make sure that you are growing spiritually. Second Peter chapter 3 verse number 18. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It says but grow in the grace. Beloved, we must grow in our knowledge of the word. We must grow in the knowledge of the law, in our knowledge of the Lord. We must grow in the things of the spirit. In the things of the spirit. Praise the name of Jesus. Men like Abraham lived a balanced life. His own wife called him my Lord. How many of us? In the privacy of our fellowship with our wives, our wives can call us, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. Not in public, but in private. Sarah called Abraham, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. That means she was a happy, happily married woman. How many of us married men can... Our wives actually testify that they are happily married to you. Happily married to you. Not only that, look at Father Abraham. I mean, he was a distinguished professional, a business guru in the marketplace. He was involved in the money market. He was involved in farming, all kinds of, you know, activities, business endeavors. Genesis chapter 13 and verse number 2. He was very rich in gold, in silver, and in livestock. In gold, in silver, and in livestock. You can also look at Genesis 24 and verse number 35. 
Genesis 24 and verse number 35. The man excelled in the marketplace, in the corporate world, in the business world. But he also excelled at home. He also excelled at home. Praise the name of Jesus. Spiritually, the man was full of altars. Abraham was a man of altars. In every place where you went, he set up an altar from where he called upon the name of the Lord his God. He maintained constant, continuous, vibrant, deep fellowship with Jehovah God. Jehovah God. Jehovah God. He did not excel at the expense of his relationship with God. Unfortunately, that is the unfortunate experience of so many men. They are excelling, but at the expense of God, they are work with Jesus. They are work with God at the expense of their spiritual lives. That's not how to live. That is not how to live. Praise the name of Jesus. So, your spiritual life. Number two, we can talk about your ministerial life. Ministry. Your ministerial life. Number one, your spiritual life has to do with your personal walk with God. Without ministry, everything else, just you maintaining that vibrant relationship with Jesus. But number two, we are talking about ministry life. Ministry life. You are not born again just to walk with God, but also to serve him. So there is an aspect of us as children of God that makes us servants of God. Servants of God. You see, we have multifaceted relationships, if I may put it that way, with God. Multifaceted relationship with God. Number one, we have father-child, father-son relationship with God. But Within that, we also have master-servant relationship with God. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah means what? Praise the Lord. And amen means so be it. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah is not a pause in the course of preaching. No, hallelujah means praise the Lord. Let God be praised. And so when you say amen, you're actually agreeing to say yes, let him be praised. So please, when I say hallelujah, you're going to shout your loudest amen. Hallelujah. So, by ministry life, we mean your involvement as a man in the act activities or the business of the local church to which you are a member. Each and every one must be part and parcel of the business of the local church. Nobody should be a spectator in the house of God. Church is not a football pitch where some people will sit in the stands to spectate 22 people running around for one and a half hours. No. In the house of God, everyone is a player. 
There are no substitutes. Everyone must be in the field. Everyone must take his position to do his part in the work of God. Listen to this. The Bible helps us to understand that we all have been gifted in one way or another. The Bible says God has given unto each man his gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 7. God has given unto each man his gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 7. Praise the name of Jesus. So let us exercise our various gifts in the promotion of the work of God. In the promotion of the work of God. If you are not involved in the practical ministry of the local church, you are not a serious man. You are not a committed person. And by that, I don't just mean you coming for service, like in this place on Thursday for the midweek service and on Sunday. No, that's not participation. That is attendance. I'm not talking about attendance here. I'm talking about you Finding yourself a place for practical ministry in the church of God. Ushering. Sanctuary keeping. Joining, for example, the intercessory team in this place. That team is called the team of prayer warriors. You are there. You are praying. You are participating in the winning of souls. We usually have what we call monthly corporate soul winning outreaches. You are there with everybody else. You are participating in the distribution of, you know, salvation tracts. Talking to people about Jesus. If need be, inviting some of them to the house of God. That is what we are talking about. We are talking about you releasing your resources towards the promotion of the work of God. That is what we are talking about. The other day, some few months back, I spoke to a group of men in a meeting like this. I said, men, let's quickly work on a, just, a, it's a very small project, um, the toilet block, just behind this storage structure. There's a small toilet block there. Um, I said, please, people come forward. After a month or so, uh, one of us was updating me on how much men have contributed. It was a laughable amount. It was a laughable what? A laughable amount. I said, all those men with all those beards, they could only contribute this. It was a laughable gesture. <laughs> so whether you contribute or not, the work of God will never stop. Because God will never rely on one person. God will never, even if you said, I will never give in this church. I will never give. I will never give. One thing I can tell you that is that God will never be stranded because you said you will never give. Because he was God before you came around. It doesn't matter your age. He was God before you came around. It doesn't matter your age. He is called the rock of ages. So he cannot be intimidated by your, the, number, the number of years you have lived on earth. He was already God. And after you are long God, he will con, you are long, long gone, God will continue to be God. So, me, now, 
participating in the ministry of the Lord is a divine privilege. What is it? A divine privilege. Participating in the ministry of the Lord is nothing but divine privilege. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12. Apostle Paul is appreciating God, our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I appreciate him because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He says, he counted me faithful by putting me into the ministry. He counted it a great privilege. And that was the attitude of John the Baptist also. He says, someone mightier than I is coming. Luke 3.16, the straps of whose sandals are not worthy to untie. Now, the, the thing he's talking about, the untying of the straps of the sandals of Jesus was the work of slaves. That was the work of slaves that time. When the master came home, that's the road, you know, that time. The, the first thing that the servant the slave was supposed to do to welcome the master was to untie the straps of his sandals and take them off and wash his feet. And John says, I'm not even worthy to do that with the sandals of Jesus. He says, as far as Jesus is concerned, I'm more than, I am, I'm less than a slave to him. Less than a slave. Less than a slave. And yet, John was Privileged by God to be a forerunner for Jesus. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. John chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. John chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord and make straight his paths. Praise the name of Jesus. He says, I'm not a prophet. I'm not Elias. That is, I'm not Elijah. No. I'm not Jeremiah. I'm not any of those old prophets. I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice. Some people came to him, I think his own disciples. They said, hey, master, master, meaning John. Now, the fellow you baptized at the river Jordan, he's also baptizing. Everyone is actually going to him. Can't you see attendance has gone down in our ministry here? Everybody is going to the ministry of Jesus. You know what John said? John 3 that says 27 to 31, he says, No man will have anything except it be given him from heaven. So the multitudes you are seeing in the ministry of Jesus were given to him from heaven. And therefore, he must increase, and I must what? Decrease. Humility. Humility. It's a privilege to serve in the ministry of the Lord. It is a privilege to serve in the ministry of the Lord. And so we must jump on every available opportunity to make a difference in the house of God. It should be new as a man, as a solid man, a minister in the house of God to look around every time you come to a place. It doesn't have to be your local church. Wherever you go, in a place of worship, look around that place and ask yourself, what are the needs of this place? And what can I do within the means available to me to make a difference here? 
to make a difference here. To make a difference here. There are many times when I'm invited in various places to preach. I have ended up blessing the people there. Blessing the pastor. Blessing the work of the Lord. Releasing funds higher in amount, in value, than their love offering given to me. In one place, they gave me their love offering. I can't remember whether it was 50,000. I think I gave them 500,000. Because I want to be a blessing. I want to be a blessing. One of the pastors was confused. He said, Pastor, what is this? I said, that is it. <laughs> that is it. We must make a difference in the work of the ministry. Hallelujah. Ask your neighbor, what, what do you think about what you are hearing? Uh, what, what do they think? Please have a discussion. What are they saying? What are they saying? Is it making sense? Is it something profitable? <laughs> uh, hallelujah. I'm showing you the major components of life. Number one is what? Spiritual. Number two is what? Ministry. Number three is family. Family life. Family life. If you are not succeeding at home, it doesn't matter where else you are succeeding, you are a failure. I'll come again. If you are not succeeding at home, it doesn't matter, it does not matter where else you are succeeding, you are a failure. Because family success is the beginning of success. Family success. That's the foundation. How can you have everybody else clapping for you except your own house. Actually, people in your house are asking, who are they clapping for? And why are they clapping for him? <laughs> if you want to succeed at all, please succeed as a matter of priority at home. At home. At home. It is possible to succeed in the corporate world and fail at home. And all we are saying is, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Family success. Now, here it is. When you read your Bible, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, you will see that among the qualifications listed there of good leadership in the church is good family management. What is it? Good family management. It says, if a man cannot manage his own house well, how can he ably or effectively manage the household of God? I believe the household of God there should be understood generically to mean any other kind of leadership out there. 
Whether you're talking of political leadership, corporate world leadership, it doesn't matter. What happens at home will affect you somehow wherever you go. Whether you're a pastor or a general manager, a finance director, a country director, what, what is happening to you domestically in your house will somehow affect your output wherever you are positioned in this world. And therefore, it is a good thing to commit to good family management. To commit to good family management. It is a good thing to commit to good family management. Hallelujah. Don't just make your employers happy with your good performance. Also make your family happy with your good leadership as a father and a husband in that house. Praise the name of Jesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 8, 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse number 8, it says that if a man does not provide for his own family, he is much worse than an infidel. An infidel is the worst of sinners. He says you are much worse than the worst of sinners. If you are not capable, you are not able, you are not committed to take proper care of your family. To take proper care of your family. Family life. How is your family life? Okay, first of all, how is your spiritual life? <laughs> How is your spiritual life? That's number one. Number two, how is your ministry life? How has been your participation in the ministry of the local church? And number three, how is your family life? What kind of example are you to your own sons and daughters? Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Be a good example. I mean, 1 Timothy 4.12, 1 Timothy 4.12, Apostle Paul is instructing Timothy, of course, in the context of church leadership. He says, be an example. That is a good example to the flock. Be a good example to the believers. And I'm saying to fathers and, and leaders here, be a good example to your house. Be a good example to your wife. A good example to your children. Be a good example in your leadership wherever you are positioned by grace. Be a good example. You are a leader in the workplace, in the marketplace. Be a good example. A good example of professionalism. A good example of excellence. A good example of punctuality. You don't go to the office late simply because you are a boss. Nobody's above the law. If you are supposed to report for Judas at half past seven, you also, whether you are boss or not, must be there at that time. You don't come at half past nine because you are a boss. And you want to shout at those that came in at quarter past eight. And yet both of you are supposed to be in by half seven. That's bad leadership. Hallelujah. All right, number four. 
I'm showing you the major components of life. Number four is health or fitness life. I'm talking about your health. Your health. Your health struck fitness dimension of life. How fit are you? How healthy are you? Somebody said that health is worth. You see, if you are enjoying sound health, you are a rich man. Because with sound health, you can do everything that must be done to get the riches, the breakthroughs, and the testimonies you desire in life. So to be healthy is to be rich. To be healthy is to be rich. That is why <laughs> those that are sickly are said to be of poor health. So sickness is a type of poverty. Not to be in good health is a type of lack, a type of poverty. The meaning is, don't just work. Oh, that is what we are saying. Don't just work. Also be mindful of your health. Be mindful of your health. That means your health should be an important aspect of your investment in life. Eat well. Exercise well. And I can add to say, rest well. I know some of you will be challenging me on that one. You'll be saying, are you resting, you? <laughs> rest well. Rest well. Eat well. Eat well. Ask your neighbor, are you eating well or not? Don't say, I like this, and then that is the only thing you eat every day. Eat what medical experts say, balanced diet. What is it? Balanced diet. Exercise well. Exercise. Please exercise well. Now, some of you are not fit. Not because of age, but because of kwashoko of exercise. There is no exercise. All you know is eating and driving and talking. There is no exercise. That is a bad way to live, I'm telling you. That's a bad way to live. That's a bad way to live. It doesn't cost much, if there is any cost at all, to exercise. Because you can just say, okay, I will be walking at least between 30 and 45 minutes every day, walking, walking, or jogging. Do you have to pay for that? No. Jesus already paid. God already paid. He gave you legs. Use them. Walk around. Run around. Hallelujah. Run around. Run around. Until you start gasping for air. <laughs> What are you doing by that? You are strengthening your heart. You are energizing your heart. 
If you don't exercise, I feel sorry for you. I know people who have all kinds of reasons for not doing certain things. But that you have justifiable reasons does not mean <laughs> it will work for you. If you are not exercising because of whatever, whatever, we have a new baby, eh, your body will not become healthier because the reason for not exercising is justifiable. Health, your health. Now, there is profit in exercise. 1 Timothy 4, 8. There is profit in exercise. 1 Timothy 4, verse number 8. It says, bodily exercise profits little. That means in bodily exercise, there is some level of what? Profit. All he's trying to say there is that, it says, but godliness is profitable unto all things. So don't just exercise in terms of physical exercise. You must also exercise yourself unto godliness. Now it goes back to your spiritual life. Praise the name of Jesus. So, number five dimension or component of life is work. Work, career. The things you do to generate income, your sources of income. Those things put together are called work, career. So you can see already that is only just one component. Out of the five that we have mentioned, that is just one. So, to be pursuing career at the expense of the other four is to live a very dangerous life. To live a very dangerous life. To live a very dangerous life. Work. Now, all I want to say here is that I hope each one of us here has a career that they are pursuing. We must vow never to be a burden to anybody. We must vow. I know that almost all of us here, we are distinguished professionals, but I'm saying this for the sake of emphasis, that none of us here and none among the men in our midst must be a burden to another. Each one of us must look after ourselves. Praise the name of Jesus. I said praise the name of Jesus. Well, we can push one another here and there. It happens. But nobody should live his life, all his life, depending on well-wishers for survival. It never works. And that is never the will of God, and it will never be the will of God. And those of us that are privileged to be in some kind of career or some workplace, it doesn't matter whether we are self-employed, let us Render our services in those places of work with excellence and professionalism. Excellence and professionalism. Excellence. You must believe in excellent work because you are an excellent child of God. 
You are an excellent son of God. And therefore, everything that you do in the marketplace should manifest excellence. You should not be the one people should be complaining about. Poor boss, difficult boss. Oh, this boss does not know anything. This boss is just a post office. When a document comes, all you can do is to initial it. You don't know anything about what is in there. That's not how to be a boss. And yet your children are saying, our daddies at the office. Our daddies at the office. When at the office you are doing nothing. You are just a postmaster. I don't want to be a boss like that. I want to add value. I want to add value. You know, there are some bosses, you submit something to them, a report. There will be no change. They will just push it. You are the one, actually, who will be telling him that I need to withdraw that report because Page so so, so has got a mistake. But he passed it. <laughs> he passed it. He, he's just a postmaster. Eating free money. You know there are some people in the workplace who eat free money. Free money. I call them lucky people. They are lucky that they can eat free money. You know, there are some people, when I look at them in the workplace, what I say is, if this place was my company, all these people, I would have fired them, all of them, because they are eating free money. But when you meet them in the corridor, nice suit, powerful, three-piece. But sit down, let's work. They don't know anything. So, number five component of life is what? Work. Work. But work must be balanced with the rest of the other components that we are talking about. And number six of such is financial stroke investment. That is an important aspect of life, financial life, financial life. In all our achievements and successes, let's make sure that we are also succeeding in the area of finances. I don't have time to go into much detail about that because the issue we are looking at is really about how do we attain work-life balance. Otherwise, each of these components of life require its own session to be unbundled and expounded on. Praise the Lord. But let me just mention the fact that we cannot do without money. Money is very important. So much that we need to invest in what I call financial literacy. Financial literacy. We must be financially literate. We must be financially knowledgeable. We must know the art of budgeting. We must know the art of budgeting. Number two, we must know the art of investment. We must know the art of saving. 
for the future. The art of investment. The art of budgeting. We must know the art of financial discipline. You know, there are some men when money is in the pocket, it's like confusion has entered their brain. So the entrance of money into their pocket equals entrance of confusion or suspension of mental faculties. You only come back to his senses after the money is finished. Say, ha, what have I done with the money? Because he lacks financial discipline. Financial discipline. And you are never financially disciplined unless and until you are in the regular habit of giving God what belongs to him out of your money. Whenever money comes to you, remember to give God a part of that money that belongs to him. Every money that comes to you as an income, it has a component in it that belongs to God. It is not for your personal use. It is usually called the tithe. One-tenth, that is 10% of your income does not belong to you. It belongs to God. And therefore, it should not be used on you or anybody else. Give to God what belongs to him. And the tithe is the Lord's. Leviticus 27 and verse number 30. The tithe is the Lord's. Leviticus 27 and verse number 30. But aside the issue of tithing, there are also other areas of what we call kingdom investment. Other areas of kingdom investment. Because in the local church, there are going to be many other things apart from issues of tithe that will call for your further investment in the house of God. For example, construction works. Construction works. Evangelism. Evangelism. Radio ministry. All these things require a lot of money. And please, men, I want you to appreciate this. I'm a pastor. Um, so I know what this means. Listen, it takes a lot of money. What did I say? It takes a lot of money to run the work of God well. It takes a lot of money to manage the church of God well. I'm saying that to help you appreciate the need for you to really partner with God financially in his work. Because we are laborers together with him. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 9. We are laborers together with God in the work of the ministry. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Talks of people, including women, 
like Mary Magdalene, that supported the ministry of Jesus out of their substance. The Bible says many, there were many. He's mentioning one or two of them there, but he says, and many others who stood with Jesus out of their substance. That is, these were people of substance that supported the ministry of Jesus. You see, the ministry of Jesus involved a lot of traveling. And there was a day when they chartered the whole ship. Remember Mark chapter 4. Verses 35 to 41. He said, let us cross over to the other side. He says, there were other boats and then there was the boat of Jesus. They chartered it. Through the support of these men and women. So, don't just be a man. Be man enough. Don't just be a man. Be man enough. Partner with God financially in his work. Partner with God financially in his work. I don't want into details talking about the sacrifices that your fellow men are making, even in the promotion of the work of God in this church. Big sacrifices, big sacrifices. Big, big sacrifices. The issue is not big or small, but do your part. <laughs> do your part according to your size. Do your part. But for you not to do anything at all is, is greatest and gratefulness in my view. Greatest and gratefulness. For you not to do your, no, not even anything. Let us work on our finances. And for those of us that are married, we have wives in our homes let us make every effort in our homes never to have arguments over money issues, money matters. Let us not argue over financial issues. Make sure there is no argument in your house around issues of money. Is it making sense? Money is not something to be arguing about. That is, you need to be transparent. You need to have a budget. Agree on how you're going to spend. So those are the things that will help you to avoid quarreling over financial issues in your house. And be transparent. Be transparent. Let your wife know how much you're getting. And if you don't have money, don't pretend that you have it. In any case, she's your wife. Why should you be ashamed to tell your wife that there is no money here? But some men want to pretend as if there is money. And they'll just make the, the, the woman angry. Hey, why are you not giving me money? Because you're always posing as if you have it when you don't have it. Tell the woman, I don't have. There is no money here. Hallelujah. All right. That was financial. And then is financial stroke what? Investments. Please, men, let us have some level of investment some level of investment let me tell you the truth about life one day you will retire and there are some some of you that are already retired officers if you don't invest you struggle after you retire 
because there will be no income anyway, apart from maybe the pension they are giving you, uh, I don't know when, uh, 14th, if you are a civil servant. Uh, in other places, if you were a civil servant, in other places it's 10th, it doesn't matter what date it is. So you can imagine that even the installment is coming at on, on 14th. And it is not as much as the salary you used to get. So if you don't have avenues of generating income, then you, you, you become a mess. You become a burden to your sons and daughters. Now also they are trying to prepare for the time that you are in. Hallelujah. So whatever little that is coming in now, please don't eat all of it. Spare some of it for the future. Spare some of it for the future. Buy land, build houses, or whatever it is that you can do to at least save something for the future. And when I talk of saving here, I'm not just talking about, you see, cash, cash saving should only be for purposes of investing at a particular time in the future. Otherwise, cash saving is not a good investment. You can save it because you want to put that money in a particular investment. You want to buy land. You want to set up a business. You want to construct a house. Hallelujah. Have investments. Because there are some men who are married to their work. Maybe he's a chief accountant. Him and the, the chief accountant position is like, till death do us part. So much that should something happen, and he's told that we no longer need you here, we retrench you. The man who can even die within six months. He has no other source of income anywhere in this world apart from the salary he's getting as a chief accountant. That's a poor way to live. That's a poor way to live. Now, somebody said something. I think he just wanted to challenge the people, but I think it makes a lot of sense. You know what he said? He said, if you left employment today, Today is what? Fourth May. And that means no more salary, isn't it? And you don't get that salary for the next six months. It says, if you cannot survive within these six months of not working, if you cannot survive without borrowing, you are a poor man. <laughs> you are a what? You are a poor man. It says, if you stopped working now, it doesn't matter where you're working, you stop working. So there is no salary. And then you lived your life like that for six months without getting any salary. From, and for you to survive, you would need probably prayers. Pastor Banda, where are you? You, know, you have to pray. You have to pray. Oh, please, please borrow me. Or oh, the church should borrow me. Because, you know, after six months, I will pay. Now, just know that you are a poor man. <laughs> 
that, that, according to this man. <laughs> In other words, he's saying, work on yourself. Become financially sound. Work on yourself to become financially sound. Financially sound. In other words, those of us that are working professionals, don't just depend on your monthly salary. Create other avenues of generating income for your life, for the family. Praise the name of Jesus. All right. Number seven. I'm showing you major components of life. Number seven is development. Development. There's an aspect of you that is called developmental. Developmental. That is where you are today, whether in knowledge, in accomplishment, is not the ultimate. There is still a lot of room for improvement. And so under this, we can talk about personal development. Personal development. Develop yourself. Are you an accountant? Develop yourself. Are you an economist? What else can you do to enhance your capacity? To enhance your effectiveness as an accountant, as a lawyer, as an economist, as a, 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 a carpenter, as a bricklayer? What else can you do? to capacitate yourself further in that profession. That is what we are talking about. As a pastor, what else can you do? Maybe you need to pray more. If you've been fasting once a week, maybe you now need to be fasting three days a week for the whole year. Fasting three days a week, three days a week. You will see that your effectiveness in ministry will be sharpened. Praise the name of Jesus. Somebody said that the largest room in the world is the room for improvement. The largest room in the world is the room of the room for improvement. Hallelujah. The meaning is if you think you have arrived, you have arrived indeed at stagnation. Did you hear what I said? If you think you have arrived, you have arrived indeed at what? Stagnation. Because nobody will ever arrive. Everyone has a lot of room for improvement. So anybody who has this arrival mentality, that fellow has just arrived at a destination called stagnation. Stagnation. If you stop improving, you start dying. If you stop improving, you start dying. If you stop improving, you start dying. You start dying. So, personal development. And I want to re-emphasize an aspect that I almost touched on uh, when I was talking about investment. An aspect of development, number one is personal, 
Number two, I want to emphasize on infrastructure development. Infrastructure development. Infrastructure development. Many people in this country are not building anything anywhere. You know why? What they are saying is we are poor. The question is, who is rich? Who is rich? Look at so many of these business complexes that we have in town. Most of them were built using loans. Not many that have built those structures, built them using savings. That they saved about 200 million and then they started building a structure. They went to the bank to get loans and built. You are calling them rich, but they are highly indebted. They are highly indebted. Some bank gave them a lot of money to be able to build that structure. But you look at this, hey, hey, no, no. It's all about your mindset. You see, poverty is not necessarily the absence of resources. Poverty is an attitude. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. Give this country to a man who has a different mindset than the mindset of an average Malawian. This country will develop within seven and between seven and ten years. You, you will see a lot of change in this country. You will see a lot of change. Okay, just get a man like Trump to be your president, the president of Malawi, for seven years. You will see a lot of change. With the same money that MRA makes for us. The same money. See it. But if somebody looks at that pot and says, okay, out of this, three billion is for my uncle. Just know that you, you are going nowhere. Just know that you are going nowhere. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. What we are building here has cost us a lot of money. But if this was government project, this one, somebody would have built his own personal house, maybe four, five, six houses out of this project. And the stage where we are would have cost government uh, billions. But our expenditure, I think, has not reached a billion. But this one would have maybe two billion? Would have been two? If it was government, they would have been announcing on NBC that we have now the project is at 40%. We have already spent two billion of the seven billion. 
That's how sick we are as a country. What am I saying to you? Invest in infrastructure. You need to engage in infrastructural development. Personal, personal for your house, your family. Invest for your children. Hallelujah. All right, the last one, number eight. I'm showing you major components of life. I've spent quite some amount of time here, but I'll try to speed up uh, uh, in the rest of the other things that we want to talk about. Number eight is social life. It is called what? Social life. And that has to do with your interpersonal life. How well are you living with the people around you? Now, God's benchmark of your social life is that you must live peaceably with all people. Live peaceably with all people. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 18. Live peaceably with all people. With all people. Your wife, your neighbors, your work colleagues, brothers and sisters in the church, your neighbors, your brothers and sisters, everyone, everyone, live well with people. Again, Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Our social life entails the fact that we must rejoice with those that are rejoicing and weep with those that are weeping. Be available to attend other people's celebratory activities. Weddings, baby naming, housewarming, and... Uh, all those things. But also, when people are going through grief, sorrow, funerals, and what have you, please be available to cheer them up. This is an important aspect of our being. Praise the name of Jesus. What are we saying? We've just sampled, I mean, there could be so many other components of life, but I thought... A highlight of these eight will suffice for this discussion. And what we are saying is that all these components require our utmost attention. All these components require our utmost attention. Now, let's finish by looking at uh, the following. Why must we maintain work-life balance? Why must we maintain work-life balance? Number one, it is an expression of soberness. It shows that you are sober. And soberness is a virtue that God expects us to manifest in our daily lives. Soberness. To live a life of balance in the manner we are discussing 
is an expression of soberness. And this soberness is a virtue. It is a spiritual virtue that God expects us to live out on daily basis. He expects us to be sober in all our transactions, in all our dealings. He wants us to be sober. He wants us to be sober. I can give you scriptures quickly. Romans chapter 12, verse number 3. That verse of scripture tells us to think soberly. To think soberly. It says, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. You can also look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. You can also look at Titus chapter 2, verse number 6. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 6. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8. And now in that one, God actually says, Be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion, Seeking whom he may devour. It says, be sober. Now, that word sober simply means not drunk. Not drunk. Not drunk. Everyone who is not drunk is called sober. He is sober. That fellow is sober. Now, to, to be sober also means not to go overboard. Not to go overboard. Not to go overboard. If you want something so badly that you are tempted to cut corners, you are not sober. You are drunk. And drunkenness here has nothing to do with alcohol. It has to do with your state of mind, your, 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 how you manage your desires. You, you, you want it so badly. You want it so badly. I have to get it. Whether by hook or crook, but I must get it. Just know that you are not sober. You are intoxicated. You are drunk. And that is a very dangerous state to be in. Now, to be sober also means to exercise moderation. The Bible says we must be modest. We must be modest. That is, exercise moderation. The thing you are doing may be good, but be modest. Exercise moderation. Don't go overboard. Don't be drunk. Doing whatever it is that you are doing. And so in terms of work, what this means is that don't work at the expense of the rest of the other aspects and components of life that we've talked about. Number two, why must we maintain work-life balance? Number two, because it is God's will 
that we should have it well in all areas of life. It is God's will that we should have it well in all areas of life. And therefore, if all we do is to work to the detriment, detriment of the rest of the other aspects of life, then we are not going to have it well in those areas that we are overlooking, neglecting, and omitting in our lives. It is God's will that we should have it well in all areas of life. 1 Kings chapter 5, verse number 4, Psalm 71, verse 21. 1 Kings chapter 5, verse number 4. God has given me rest on every side. That is what that verse says. 1 Kings 5, 4. God has given me rest on every side. But as I said, not all men can lay claim to that fact. That all is well on every side. You discover it is only at the office where things are well, but not in the house. The fellow is not talking to his wife for seven weeks now. That is to be very unwell. Not talking to your wife. You are talking to everybody else except your wife. I will not talk to you. I want to talk to my children. Did you give birth to them? I want to talk to my children. Boys, 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 come, come, come. Boys, come. Boys, come. <laughs> <laughs> there are many people today that are great only at the office but not at home and not in spiritual matters ask him something about accounting the way he's going to explain it, you, he can even write a book about it. Okay, ask him about a verse in the Bible. He doesn't know anything. That is highest degree of Kwashoko. And vow never to live your life like that. Hallelujah. God, now I've given you eight areas, com major components of life. God wants you to have it well in all those eight areas. And that is the more reason why you must maintain good work-life balance. Number three. Why must we maintain work-life balance? Number three. This is important. It is because there are other aspects of life that have either more lasting or eternal value than work. There are other aspects of life that have either more lasting or eternal value than work. There are other aspects of life that have either more lasting or eternal value than work. Now, what do I mean by that? <laughs> In Mark chapter 8 and verse number 36, Mark chapter 8 and verse number 36, the master asked a question. He said, what shall it profit a man 
if he gained the whole world and lost his soul in hell. What does that tell you? He's simply trying to tell you that the salvation of your soul is more important than any gain you can get out of the world. So there are certain things in this life that have more enduring value than others. And those should be given greater attention than anything else. Than anything else. Now hear this. For those of us that are married, how many of us have wives in our homes? Can I see your hand? Almost all of us. Let me say this to you. We need to balance between work and marriage. We need and we must balance between work and marriage. We must remember always that work will end one day and only family will remain. So, for example, if you talk of retirement, it means work has what? Ended. But you can't say I have retired from the family. So, can you imagine that you never cared about your family? Because I am the big man, big man, and I'm going this way. No, 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 everybody is complaining. Ah, it's okay. And then age catches up with you. And they say, sir, at this age, according to our retirement policy, here are your Jews. Where are you going to go? Is it not to the family that you were abandoning? That's where you go, sir. That is where you will go. The Lord forbid, but if you died in office, you are still working, and you, you, know, you, you know the kind of things they speak. I won't cheat to Alan Kula, you know? You know, the, you know, we've lost a very important person, uh, not just very important, but VIP, very, very important person. But sir, after two weeks, they will be sitting down in their boardroom to discuss your replacement. Am I right here? People will be attending, depending on the workplace, promotional interviews. On your position. After a year, you check in the paper, the obituary section. Is it Agunchito that are going to put there uh, they, uh, 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 they will say our chief accountant you know we really miss you is it Agunchito? it's your family that will be saying daddy honey we miss you one year ago it's like yesterday it's the family so it is it is, it is unwise to abandon your family in the name of work in the name of work. In the name of... It is, it is unwise to do so. It is not wisdom at all. It is not wisdom at all. Work will end whether you like it or not. 
Because that is why there is retirement. They tell you that, look, at this age, you will no longer be productive for us. Go and rest. Do you rest in the street? No, you rest at home. You rest at home. So we can as well say, therefore, that your home is your tomorrow. Your home is your tomorrow. Take care of it. Take care of it. That is why, if it is possible for those of us that are still working, don't carry work home. If it is possible, don't carry work home. Leave work at work and go home without any work, without any laptop. Because some people just shift work. Their business, they take it from the office to home. The child wants to chat with them and say, no, no, go to your mom. I, I've been with my mom the whole time. That is why so many working professionals have lost their children. You see the child and the parents are miles apart. Irreconcilable differences. Many working professionals are strangers to their children. That is why houseworkers are raping children. And you only discover it through counseling at church. And the girl is 18 years of age. Why are you behaving like this, you know? A houseworker uh, had sex with me when I was 11. Did you tell your parents no? Why? Because he said if I do, he's going to bewitch me. So children are finding it easier to tell the pastor their issues than their parents. Because parents are not friends to them. Parents are strangers. They are strangers. They don't laugh with the children. They don't play with the children. So shouting at the children. Anyway, those of us that are working, let us make good use of our weekends as well as public holidays. Let us spend weekends with our, with our families, our wives and our children. Of course, it depends on uh, the ages of your children. All I'm saying is, let us put our family ahead of career. Let us put our family ahead of career. Ahead of career. Okay, let's finish by looking at what I'm calling principles of work-life balance. Principles of work-life balance. I'll give you four very quickly. I'll just make a quick listing of this because uh, we are almost hitting half past 11, so we have to finish. Principles of work-life balance. Number one, the principle of priori prioritization. The principle of prioritization. You have to prioritize. Why? Because the Bible does teach us to do so. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33. You know what it says? Seek first the kingdom 
of God and his righteousness. Seek first. That means in all you are seeking, there are certain things that are number one to seek. There are certain things that are number one to seek. It is called the principle of prioritization. You have to prioritize. You must assess and determine what issues are worthy of your attention. There are certain things that must be given first priority in your life. And I'm looking at your spiritual life as being one of them. Your ministry life, your family life, very, very important. You're very, very important. Number two, it is the principle of time allocation. The principle of time allocation, or call it the principle of time management. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 11 is very clear. It says there is a time for everything. If it is time to be at work, do it to the very best of your ability. But after that, there must be also time for other things. Time for ministry. Time for family. Time for exercise. Time management. Make effective use of your diary. Please manage your time well. Manage your time well. There are times when you must tell certain people that you are busy. That you are busy. Why? Because the time that they are calling you to go to whatever place is time that you have allocated to be with your wife and children. So you are busy attending to your wife and children that time. be available all the time. No. No. There is a time for everything. There is a time. There is a time. Time must be allocated. Time must be allocated. And if I were you, I would have made uh, I would have come up with a matrix of these eight things matrix, some form of a diagram of things that I'm going to do under each of these eight areas or major components of life and paste it inside my bedroom door so that I can be looking at it and say, okay, well, how am I doing here? Infrastructure development. No, 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 I need to, there's a red flag here on infrastructural development. I must do something. I must do something. Or my ministry life. Uh -uh. There's nothing I'm doing in the church of God apart from attending services. I must, I must get down to work. I must give God a reason to continue being alive. Now, the next one is the principle of cost-benefit analysis. The principle of cost-benefit analysis. And I think in a way, a, our discussion so far on this subject is 
already an analysis of whether indeed it is necessary for me to just sell myself out to work at the expense of everything else. And we have already found out that that is not correct. That is not correct. That is not correct. Now, Apostle Paul said something in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 23, which I would like to read. He says, all things are lawful for me. That is, all things are permissible for me. But not all things are helpful. You can do whatever it is that you are doing. And nobody will call it a sin. I mean, for example, you can watch television from morning to evening on a Saturday like this. It's not a sin. But Paul says it's not helpful. That kind of approach is not helpful. Because at the end of the day, apart from satisfying your eyes in what you are watching, what else are you gaining from doing that? It's nothing. You're just wasting yourself. You can even break your back sitting the whole day. Doing nothing but watching television. It is not a sin. Nowhere in the Bible has it been called a sin. But is it helpful? Is it helpful? So he says, all things are lawful. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. In other words, there are certain things people do that do not add value to them. That is why we need to undertake cost-benefit analysis of engaging in certain things. Is it really necessary for me to go to the office over the weekend? Is it really a must? Because there are some Christians that create overtime just to have, because they pay, they pay them. So just to have additional income, they will be telling the boss all kinds of stories. You know, sir, tomorrow we have to come. And yet, he knows there is a men's empowerment summit tomorrow, Saturday. But he says, no, no, no. And then he will be calling the leaders, no, I, I, I will not be able to come because we have to be at the office. It's not that the boss said it, but because he's looking for additional quachas out of that assignment. It's a bad way to live. It's a bad way to live. The principle of cost-benefit analysis. Somebody is not here, for example, has not listened to this teaching. Are you going to be at the same level with such fellow? Such a fellow has missed it. Okay, we are recording, but live and recorded is not the same. This is live teaching. You gain more when you are there than to receive a recorded uh, dimension of what was discussed. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says, you see, not all things are helpful. 
please have that in your mind. Not all things are helpful. Not all. Not all. So you cannot engage in all. Because not all is helpful. You can't engage in all. There are certain things that you must say, no, I'm, I'm not going to be available for this. Lastly, the principle of consistency. The principle of consistency. The balance we are talking about requires consistency. Don't just do it once. And that's the tendency of so many people in the house of God. When the message is so hot and they are touched, ah, that week, even the wife will be surprised to say, God really works miracles. My husband is waking up at 2 a.m. to pray because the pastor hammered much on it. But after that week, <laughs> the man goes back to square one, if not square zero. Honey, 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 are you not waking up this week last, last, like last week? Oh, hey, hey, what are you talking about? Hey. It was just for that week. But what we are talking about here is a lifetime engagement. Learn the principle of balance. The principle of balance. Balance your life. Balance your life. Balance your life. Don't be a one-sided man. Be an all-sided person. All-sided. All-sided. Put a tick on each and every of these eight major components of life. And keep on improving. Keep on improving. Keep on improving. I salute the consistency of a man in the Bible by the name Caleb. Caleb. Joshua chapter 14, verse 11. Joshua chapter 14 and verse 11. He tells Joshua, Caleb tells Joshua, he says, hey, I am as strong today as I was 45 years ago. I've not changed. We need men that will not change. That is, the good that they are today will continue 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. Men that are solid, men that are balanced. Men that are sober, men that are sober. Men that refuse to be intoxicated. They are successful, but they refuse for success to intoxicate them. They have money, but they refuse to be drunk with money. They refuse to make money cause them get drunk. We need men of consistency. We don't have so many of them in our time. Men that are consistent. But God is saying to all of us here, let us be consistent. You love your wife today, continue loving your wife. You are taking care of your children, continue taking care of your children. You are a prayerful man today, continue being prayerful. 20 years from now, consistent. The man says, I am as strong today as I was then. When God spoke to me by Moses, 
And I was just 40 years of age that time. And this time he's 85. He says, I am still strong for war, for battle. I, I, I will still go out. Please give me this mountain. I want to fight. It's not that uh, my strength has gone down. No. No. So I believe that this is an important principle. It is a principle of balance, basically. And we are saying balance whatever you are doing in life in terms of earning income with the rest of the other dimensions of your life. Be a balanced man. May we rise on our feet. Hallelujah. Amen. I said hallelujah. Amen. I want us to pray. First of all, let's thank God for his word. Lift your voice. Let's thank God for his word. Lift your voice. Father, we thank you. Father, we celebrate, exalt, and glorify your name. Celebrate him, everyone. Let us appreciate this God who speaks. The God who speaks, the God who speaks, the God who speaks. Father, thank you because you are a speaking God. And you always speak at the right time. You give us a word in season. We celebrate you. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you adoration. You are such an amazing God. You are such a great God. You are such an awesome Father. We thank you, Lord. We bless your name. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name. Hallelujah. I want to believe that living our lives in a manner discussed is a show of wisdom. It's a manifestation of the wisdom of God. So we are going to pray for a baptism of wisdom upon our lives. You know, in James chapter 1 and verse number 5, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. The right application of knowledge. You need wisdom to apply the teachings the teaching that has come through. We need the wisdom of God. We need the right application of the things we have received. So you are going to lift your voice. You are going to say, Father, I now receive a baptism of wisdom upon my life. Lift your voice. How many are praying? Lift your voice. I need a baptism of wisdom which is the right application of knowledge. The right application. The right application of the knowledge acquired, of the teaching acquired. Lord, I need that wisdom. I receive wisdom in the name of Jesus. I receive wisdom in the name of Jesus. I receive wisdom in the name of Jesus. Mighty Father, we give you thanks. Lord, we give you praise and we give you glory. Lord, I receive a baptism of wisdom. A baptism, a baptism, a baptism of wisdom. I receive it in the name of Jesus. I receive it, 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 I receive it. I receive it in the name of Jesus. 
Thank you, mighty God. In Jesus' precious name. Lastly, um, I want us to pray for our families and this aspect of infrastructural development. You see, an average Malawian struggles for years to build just one house. Struggles, struggling. <laughs> Five years still building one house. Six years. Three bedroomed house. It's not that he's building a mountain. It's just a three-bedroomed house. Seven years, ten years. Even after 12 years, there is still a room that is not yet properly completed. Tiling is done, plastering not yet. We want to pray for grace. Grace for family success and grace for success in the area of infrastructural development in our families. Is that a good idea? May we lift our voices and begin to pray. Shakata likatia mande likatala bazata. Rakanda rikatala bazita likatia makota. Sharakanda rikatala mazundo lupasia mahandi. Rakatala bazuta rikatia mande liposelele kuta. Yakanda rikatala bazuta rikatia mande rebosa. Shakata rikata. Father, we are praying for family success. Family success, family excellence, family prosperity, protection and preservation, protection and preservation, protection and preservation. Yes, of our families. Yes, O oh Lord, in the name of Jesus. Protection, 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 protection. Jakata rikatala masunda. Yakanda rikatala basuta. Rikatia mandelebusa. Yakanda rikatala basuta rikatia manderebus. Yakata rikatala bakata likatala masindi. Yakata rikatala basuta rikatia manderebusa. Jakata likata grace for infrastructural development. Yes, in the name of Jesus. In our homes, in our families, in our personal lives. Grace, grace, grace for infrastructural development grace for speed grace for speed grace for speed grace for speed 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 yes i pray for grace grace for speed in our infrastructural development activities in the mighty name of jesus jakatala mazuta rikataya likatala mazende rikatala bahata in Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Hallelujah. Anybody here who was living an imbalanced life, let there be a divine correction in the name of Jesus Christ. I decree this hour that every power of darkness that was derailing any of us is now destroyed in the name of Jesus Christ. Let there be success in all the major components of your life in the name of Jesus. 
I declare success upon your life in terms of all the major dimensions of life in the name of Jesus. Every plant in your life not planted by God is now uprooted in the name of Jesus Christ. Every power, every curse, every yoke, every evil covenant, every evil spirit that was fighting against you in life is now arrested in the name of Jesus. That yoke of darkness is destroyed because of the anointing in the mighty name of Jesus. Please, can I hear loud a shout of amen? I declare success upon all the works of your hands. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I declare success upon your wives and your children in the name of Jesus. Each one of them is protected in the name of Jesus Christ. Each one of them is enjoying the best of health in the name of Jesus. Each one of them is rising higher and higher in life and in ministry. In the mighty name of Jesus. I said in the mighty name of Jesus. I now pray for what you do, even your sources of income. I declare success upon them in the name of Jesus. I declare prosperity upon all your sources of income in the mighty name of Jesus. I said in the name of Jesus. Every door that must open unto you as a man for you to succeed in life, for you to rise in life, for you to attain destiny, for you to make a difference. I declare that door is now open in the name of Jesus. I declare open doors upon your life in the name of Jesus. May your life never lack testimonies. May your life never lack breakthroughs. In the mighty name of Jesus. Please, can I hear loud a shout of amen? I declare that divine health is your portion. Any attack of sickness and disease upon your health is destroyed in the name of Jesus. You are going to enjoy the best of health. I said the best of health. I declare success and prosperity upon your life in the name of Jesus. May you handle the kind of testimonies that you have never handled before in the mighty name of Jesus. Please, can I hear a louder shout of amen? May we please give the Lord a louder clap of celebration. Just thank God once more. Just thank him once more. Thank you for giving me your word, your light. The entrance of the word gives light. Father, we thank you for such a wonderful word, the word that soothes the soul, word that educates, word that empowers. We give you thanks, we give you praise, we give you glory. We shall never be the same. Father, we have received grace even as we have prayed. We give you all the praise in the mighty name of Jesus Christ we have prayed. Hallelujah. Psalm 23 and verse number 6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.